First Timothy 4. I was telling the elders the other day, they were, they were saying that they think it's probably a good idea if every now and then I jump out of the book that we're going through. Because we always preach these series. I've done it for 23 years now. And I do it for a lot of reasons. And one of those is because it helps keep things in context a lot better for each of us. Instead of taking a verse from here and a verse from there and a verse from over yonder uh, and doing those things from week to week. But I can see that there is an advantage. I just want you to know something. I had planned a special sermon last week that had to do with our response, our appropriate response to the circumstances that we found ourselves in with the, you know, the storm newly passing through and all the damage and, and all that. But what changed my mind last week was a kidney stone. Because <laughs> I had already prepared this sermon that I preached last week and the week before that. So I was more prepared to do that. But, uh, but be warned that I'm going to try, I'm going to ter- determine this morning to at least on occasion to jump out of what we're doing to do something special every now and then. As I can understand how going through book after book like we do sometimes could become somewhat monotonous. And the last thing we want is for the word of God to ever become monotonous to us. But we are in chapter 4. As we started out, I talked about the idea that really, this, this, one of the reasons I, I left this book, this is one of the last books of the New Testament I haven't preached on, and one of the reasons I, I, I saved it to last is because it really is just one of those pastoral epistles. It's an epistle that's written from a pastor to a pastor. And so it really has most direct application to people like me and Bo Lancaster. And not only that, to the ruling elders in the church as well. And all of us to some degree need to understand that. But the primary focus, Paul's focus, is on Timothy. Does that mean that we can't glean a lot of really good stuff out of here as believers? It doesn't mean that at all because there's all kinds of instructions here that Paul gives to Timothy in regard to what to teach and what to avoid and and all those other kinds of things. And it's important for leadership in the church to know those things, but it's also important for us as individuals, as believers, to understand and know those things as well, too. And we, we can remember, if we think back to several months ago when we began this book, that Paul wrote for a number of reasons, and one of those was to instruct Timothy uh, about certain men who were teaching strange doctrines and, and to not pay any attention to those, those myths and to end his genealogies. And, and at another point he said that some men have turned aside to fruitless discussions wanting to be teachers of the law even though they do not understand what they're saying uh, <clears throat> or matters about which they make confident assertions. The things we're reading now relate to that same mindset. Verse 6. In pointing out these things to the brethren. So he's telling him as a teacher, these, this is what you're, you're supposed to point these things out to the brethren. When they're falsehood, you should make them take notice of it. And when they're following false teaching, you should make them aware of it. And again, just remember this. You hear me say this all the time, that this is the balance. That all teaching... Whoa, 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 whoa. It's not balanced very well right now. <laughs> 
that, that all the teaching that you hear, whether it comes from this pulpit or you hear it in Sunday school or you hear it in a small group or you hear it by a TV evangelist, must be weighed in the balance of Scripture. And if it holds up to it, then you ascribe to it. If it doesn't, then you reject it. Period. End of story. We talked about this a lot last week. There's only one way for us to be able to effectively use this, and that is to know it. Right? It would be nice if it was one of those easy things where at the time of our conversion, Jesus drilled a hole in our head and poured all the information into our brain so that it would be there and we wouldn't even need to have the written word before us. But most of you, you've raised kids. (laughs) And you know it's not an easy task. And it would be certainly nice if certain things were different than they are, but they're not different than they are. We're in the reality that we're in. And again, it's not something that any one of us can do for any of the rest of us. It is something that we must do ourselves. We have to know the Word of God. If you don't, you're open to any and every sort of false teaching that comes your way. And let me tell you, some of it sounds really, really good. And it's very appealing. And it's very attractive. And it appeals to our human nature. This is your protection. God has given us so many precious gifts. And the primary one is the Son. But let me tell you, next to that, this is probably the next thing. His worth. And like I said last week, I hope you're not depending upon me every Sunday to give you all of, all of the teaching on the Bible that you get. We live in a day when there's so much, there's media that's available and there's so much good preaching and teaching that you, there's a lot of bad stuff too. So you need this so that you can identify the bad or separate the bad from the good, but there's really a lot of good preaching and teaching that's available to us today at the click of a mouse. That wasn't so many years ago. Take advantage of it. Verse 6. And pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ. And constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement, and what I would say to you, this is better said, is the word is true is what it says here literally. That the word is true, deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Now, that last little bit you probably take notice of, and we may get to it today or not, but, but, but if we don't today, we will next week. 
But you understand what, he's, what Paul is doing here. He's, he's encouraging his disciple. Remember that, that Paul is, is Timothy's spiritual father, and, and Timothy is Paul's spiritual son. And he's speaking as a father to a son, and he's encouraging him to exercise himself, to discipline himself, to strive toward godliness. There is a huge fitness industry, physical fitness industry out there today. You see all the ads on the TV about all the miracle devices they have, these extra size machines, the fitness trainer. You only have to do it 14 minutes a day, and, you know, you're going to turn into a, a beautiful, perfectly sculptured person overnight. Those sorts of things. You drive by the uh, fitness center down here on 488, and, and every time I go by there, that place is crammed full of cars. I know that some of you may have gone there at one time or another. You may still go there. There really is, in certain circles, a great emphasis today on physical fitness. And, and there are even people that take it to the extreme, and you may not realize it, but Edge happens to be one of those people. He, takes, he goes way overboard with this kind of stuff. He does marathons on a regular basis with 40 pounds of weight on his back and crazy stuff like that. And I always wondered why. And I found out this week. It's because his father is a retired Navy SEAL. He was raised with this stuff. I used to do some bicycling. And my, my brother-in-law I, and I used to ride some, too. We, now we're on we're motorcycle buddies. We used to be bicycle buddies. Now we're motorcycle buddies. We've progressed. But there's a race called the Race Across America. They do every year on bicycles. 3,000 miles from California to Annapolis, Maryland. And some people do it in just over seven days. Almost 500 miles a day on a bicycle. Now tell me those people are not crazy. (laughs) There's also a lot of people around today that don't seem to give much idea to the fact that there's any profit at all in being physically fit, right? You know that on the average, the average American is at least a little over their ideal weight. That's true. Uh, Now, some people might jump to, this is an example of where you can jump to the Bible and you could pull something out of here and just make it say something that's not intended. For instance, uh, where does it say this? In verse 8, Paul says here, bodily discipline is only of little profit. So why even bother? And we understand that what Paul is doing here is he's putting things in perspective. And he's saying this, and, that, and that's the physical things like this. They may be profitable, but they're only temporal. They're only going to affect you where you're at right now. But there's something that's far more important. And that is... The discipline and exercising of unto spiritual maturity. Growing as a Christian is the most important kind of 
exercise or discipline that we can engage in. We're wrapped up very often in the physical things of the world. And it's part of our life, right? Big part of our lives. But you and I don't work on the time scale of our lifetime anymore. We work on the time scale of eternity. And when it comes to eternity, which one is far more important, the body or the spirit? Well, they both will be once they're perfected. So sometimes people over-exercise, some people under-exercise, some people are in the middle. Where are we? Where are we when it comes to exercise of the spirit? As we said last week, and it involves a number of things, and one of those is being in the word. You can't spiritually exercise without being in the word. You can pray all you want to, and you can do all you want to, this, that, and the other, but unless you're in the word on a regular basis, you're not going to grow as a Christian. It's not going to happen. You're not going to mature. You're not going to get beyond where you are, and if you don't do it, you're probably going to digress instead of advancing forward. But even that cannot be done apart from prayer. Prayer has got to be a big part of it, too. I don't know how, what your prayer life is like. I'm assuming that all of you do have a prayer life. I'm assuming that all of you pray on somewhat of a regular basis, and sometimes you pray spontaneously when you just feel the urge of the Holy Spirit prodding you to do it. Some of you have a quiet time. And I'm not going to tell you that it's absolutely necessary that you have a quiet time every day when you read the Bible and you pray and all of that. But let me just ask you something. Does that sound like good advice? Does it sound like something that probably would be helpful? as we strive to mature as believers. That comes from someone that does, I don't have a quiet time every day anymore. I used to. I did for a very long time. And I do have quiet times regularly, don't get me wrong. But I'm just telling you the reality of where I'm at right now. My quiet times are not what they used to be. I've allowed the busyness of ministry. I've allowed the busyness of my life and all the other things, in a sense, to begin to push God out of it. And I'm ashamed of it. And I want to ask you to pray for me. And I will be praying for you. And I tell you this because I want you to understand something. None of this is easy. It's not easy. But it's a necessity. It's essential. (laughs) Lindsay woke up yesterday morning. She was getting up to go start loading the car and she didn't know this but I'd gotten up at least an hour before she had and I was in the living room and I was praying and sometimes I'll lay down on the floor when I pray and I don't, you know, there's just something about just being level flat on your face on the ground 
when you're praying that makes things makes your perspective a little different than it's going to be any other way. She almost tripped over me, I think, when she came in the living room. <laughs> she thought I was sleeping on the floor, but I wasn't on the floor sleeping. I was on the floor praying. Gosh, we need those times. We need those quiet times. We need those times when it's just us and him. And you know, we need not just a little bit of it every now and then. We need it all the time. You know, we need it daily. We need it hourly. We need it with every breathing breath that we take. We need as much of Jesus as we can have of him. And it's true for all of us. Paul says this. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. And you could also say all times. As he continues on, for the present life and also for the life to come. Like I said, we don't live in this, we're not locked locked into this timetable of of our lifetime like, like other people in some sense really at least think that they are. We understand that God has a time scale, and his time scale is eternity, and we are on that scale of eternity. Our life is. So what, we, what he's saying here is what you do now has, it echoes into eternity. It has lasting value, and it always will have. I heard a quote the other day that just blew my socks off. There's a guy preaching to preachers on this particular passage. I wrote it down somewhere. I don't see it, but I can tell you what he said. He said, we must nurture our things on God's truth and not on the trash of the world. So how much of the trash of the world are we feeding into this whole thing? What do you think? Paul says it is a trustworthy statement, or as I said, the word is true, deserving full acceptance. He's talking in particular about what he's saying right now, but I do believe that it carries over into the overall picture of all of the counsel of God. what we call the Bible. You may not realize it, but for many centuries after, you know, the, the, the New Testament books were written and, of course, the Old Testament existed now for thousands of years uh, and all of that, the average person accepted the Bible as being God's word. I mean, it wasn't, there wasn't so much of an issue. Is this God speaking or not God speaking? It seems as though the average person, for the most part, understood that. It was an understood thing. And that was true up until the late 1700s. And there was a philosophical movement that began to take root in Europe called the Enlightenment. And it focused on philosophy, and up to that point, a great deal of philosophy was focused upon God. 
But what the Enlightenment did, it shifted the focus off of God and onto man. Today, the Bible is under unabated assault. And it has been now for quite a while. There are actually people who make their living trying daily to disprove the the authority and the truth of God's word before us. What they do very often is this, is they go through the Bible and they want to pick out what they think should be there and what shouldn't be there and and all of that. And we know that we can't do that. We can't pick and choose what we want to, to accept and, and, and then deny the rest of it from God's word. The easy way to do that is just to, to convince yourself that even though God's word is there somewhere, people have added to it and all that. So what your job now is to go through there and figure out the things that God would say or the things God wouldn't say and throw the, the things he wouldn't say out. And so now what you have left is what God has really said. Does that even make any sense to you? It just goes to show you how far people are willing to go because they want to play God. They want to set the ground rules. They want to determine what is true and what's not true. Rather than letting the only one that can actually do that do it. The crazy thing is this, is even atheists believe that there is some advantage in having some written guidance for people on how you get through life and do it pretty well. A guy named, he's a professor at the University of London, A.C. Grayling, back in 2011, published a book entitled The Good Book, A Humanist Bible. And in that book, it has chapters. It has a chapter called Genesis in it. It has a chapter called Lamentations and Proverbs and Acts. You can look at it. and you can, Of course, I haven't really looked at it in detail. But what I hear is this, is you can look at it. And, and, and the author has purposely tried to put it and give it the kind of appearance of being something very much like the Bible. But it has no God in it at all. He even gives Ten Commandments. Let me read them for you. Love well. Number one, seek good. Number two. Number three, harm no one. Four, think for yourself. Five, take responsibility for yourself. Six, respect nature. Seven, do your utmost. Eight, be informed. Nine, be kind. Ten, be courageous. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, seriously, wouldn't you agree that those are all of commendable things to be pursued in life? We understand it goes far deeper than that. that there is a God, there's a living God, and he's spoken to us in his word, and it's what he says that matters. Notice there's no commandments there about, you know, no, no images, no idols, and no gods before him or anything like that. 
It's taking the format of the Bible and watering it down to the point of being absolutely meaningless when it comes to eternity. It was on the number one bestseller list for a while in England. So we're not talking about a book that has had no impact at all. We're talking about one that some people, a good number of people, have taken seriously. So what do you think about that? comes down to this. Is God's word trustworthy or not? And if it is, do we have a choice? No. We have no choice but to accept what God says fully. Even those things that seem to grate on us. These things are true for a lot of reasons, but one of those guys and gals is the truth of God is eternal. Man's advice and counsel is temporary at the very best. So what are we going to do? That's what it comes all down to in the end. What are we going to do? Are we going to be satisfied? Are we going to exercise? Spiritually. So our leadership training on Wednesday. And we've got a few people. Uh, but let me just tell you something. If you want to know about, more about the Word of God, what right, we're doing right now is we're going through, we're going to do the whole Old Testament, the whole New Testament kind of survey over the next nine months or so. Okay, if you're one of those people that's sitting here this morning and saying, you know what, I, I know a little bit about Genesis and I know about Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, but I really don't know much more about anything else. I want to challenge you. You're, you're, give, you're being giving an opportunity to grow with us. And let me tell you this discussion. Did you enjoy yourself the other night, Brian? We're having heated, we're having serious discussions about things. It's not just me sitting there and, you know, dictating, lecturing people for, for an hour, an hour and a half or so. You understand, we need to be challenged, all of us. I need to be challenged. One of the reasons I do it is because it challenges me. You heard me say this a zillion times. I'm an exam- examining committee because I'm a selfish, it's all get out. I'm not there for young people like Bo. I'm there for myself because it causes me, it forces me to stir the pot every three or four months and rethink through things. And every time I go, guys, I learn new stuff. We got women's Bible study groups that are meeting, and some of you could be there, but you're choosing not to be. Go, be a part. Learn, grow. We've got prayer groups. We've got men's prayer breakfast on Wednesday morning. We've got a ladies' prayer group that meets here on Wednesday morning or later on. Pray. 
Have your quiet times. I hope you have a per- you have a personal prayer list. People you're praying for on a regular basis. If you don't, y'all have. The neat thing about it is this is is we do that with a men's prayer breakfast. And every now and then I'll go through that book and I start reading, well, we were asking for prayer for this or whatever, and then I'll write praise, 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 praise. You go back to the older books and just about every one of those things is a praise. They were answered in time, every one of them. Isn't that amazing? Pray. Be in the Word. Do works of service. It's another means of discipline, spiritual discipline, is doing stuff for other people. Whether you get anything for it or not. Being a servant. That's the best way to show the world that you're different. That you're not just one of those religious, holier-than-thou, self-righteous, whatever's. The best way to show the world that you really believe what you say is to do it. And I want to remind you as we're talking about this, is you can't, we can't do this on our own. None of us can. And if we try to do it our own, we will fail utterly. First thing we need to be praying for is the enablement of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Holy Spirit to fall upon us. And if we pray that, guys, it will happen. So don't be satisfied. In this sense, be satisfied. I want you to encourage you to be satisfied, knowing this, that Jesus has done it all for you. You understand that. That you're not going to lose your salvation if you really have it. You've got it. God promised it to you. You've got it. And he's not up there keeping a checklist. Well, he was supposed to do this today and he didn't do it, so there's an X mark and stuff like that. That's not happening. God's not doing that with you. At the same time, guys, he's not done with us either. And I don't know about you. When I look at me, from my perspective, he has got a long, 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 long way to go, way further than he's even begun to bring me. Okay? And just remember, we're in this together. I need you. You need me. For a lot of reasons. But one of those is we need accountability. We all do.